in Caesarea up above the northern end of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and then to come down and drive down. It took us several hours to drive from where we stayed all the way down to uh, this area next to Jericho and then by Jericho, just south of Jericho, you head up the road and it's called in going. And then that's why they always say we're going up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is at a high elevation there in the mountains in the valley there. The Mount of Olives is like 2,900 feet. And then, you know, you got the Dead Sea that's like 1,200 feet below sea level, whatever it is there. And so, but it's just a scent up. And then Bethany and Bethphage are just a mile and then two miles back from the wall. And you come over that and it's coming across the Mount of Olives. You look down across the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem there. But you think they didn't have buses. And our tour guide Abraham was so good because he would say, Oh, isn't it wonderful? We're on this bus and we're traveling. Remember, they did not get on tour buses. If they went somewhere, they walked. If you were wealthy, maybe you hired a cart or a donkey or something like that. But primarily their journey, and this is the Passover season, so not just Jesus, but everybody, uh, uh, according to Exodus, would come to Jerusalem for the Passover. It's a huge celebration. And so the people are there. They're filling it. You have the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is beginning here with Palm Sunday. And then you have the, uh, the Passover coming in that and the celebration and everything everything leading up so this huge pilgrimage of people and Jesus is in this crowd and they're following their way down from Galilee and following the Jordan down then he crosses over and then comes back into Jericho he heals Bartimaeus and after that starts heading up the hill and so we have this wonderful setting there but here he's trousing with thousands of other Galilean pilgrims he didn't need to ride the last few miles but he did so to point to his identity as the Messiah Matthew concentrated chapters 21 and 22 in the temple and are to show Jesus' authority and superiority over the Jewish leaders and their way of thinking. Amen. So Jesus came to prove a point. Amen. So he has this identity. I am the Messiah and I'm coming. He's fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples as we read and said to them, Go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied there and with her a colt. Untie them and bring them to me. So after passing through Jericho and healing the blind man, they approached Jerusalem, came to the villages of Bethany and Bethpage. And like I said, they're, they're just two miles apart. We got to be there and drive along that area. We didn't get to go into Bethany and Bethpage, but they're on the, the, the uh, uh, northern side of where we were coming into Jerusalem there. And so, or the southern side, excuse me, coming in. And uh, what we find out is that Bethany was the home of Jesus' friend, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he often stayed there with his disciples. And if you look at John chapter 11, it says that he's there. He, he's fellowshipping with them. John chapter 12. And, and you read the verses there and you find out that he is... Uh, uh, Staying there at their house, Mary's feeding him, Mary comes in and anoints him. And at that time it says it's six days before the Passover. But then when you get to Matthew 26 and you also get to uh, Mark 14, you find out that Jesus is not only at their house, but it says that he's at Simon the leper's house there in Bethany. And two days before the Passover, a woman comes in, not just Mary. Many times people lump that all together, and I don't want to get off on that, but three, the three distinct times that Jesus was anointed and uh, by 
women, and one was at the beginning, and then one was Mary at her house, was six days before, and then two days before, while he's at Simon the leper's house, this lady comes in. So he would go into Jerusalem and come back and go into Jerusalem during this last week and teaching after his entrance here that we have just read about. Amen? And so the Mount of Olives is a ridge about two and a half miles long on the side on the opposite side of the Kidron Valley east of Jerusalem and the view from there is amazing it really is when you stand up on top of Mount, you can see all of the city and all of Jerusalem you see across the temple you're, you're elevated above it it just is amazing you saw some of the pictures there and picture of Pastor Doug and them standing there and it's just an amazing view and uh, from this site, Jesus discussed the coming destruction of the city. If you go on, you read through Matthew, you have the Olivet Discourse that's given there and the end times uh, teaching that he did. When Jesus spoke these words, they were probably in Bethphage in that. And he sent two disciples to Bethany to get the donkey and her colt and to bring them back. Jesus walked all the way from Galilee. In fact, it seems that he walked everywhere during the years of his ministry. So to switch to riding a colt is interesting. I just want you to keep this in mind, what's happening here. It's interesting. He goes, okay, I'm going to ride. He walked everywhere with the disciples. All of a sudden, just goes, hey, go get me a car. No, that isn't what's happening here. Amen? And so this is a deliberate gesture filled with meaning for the Jews. Matthew mentions a donkey and a colt, while other Gospels mention only the colt. This was the same event, but Matthew focused on the prophecy of Zechariah 9. And so the other Gospels uh, leave out a few things, but Matthew brings this into clarity. Where the donkey and the colt are missing, thus affirming Jesus' royalty. He showed Jesus' actions fulfilled the, the, the prophet's words, thus giving another indication that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey's colt, He affirmed His messianic royalty and His humility. See, it's significant for a king to enter, and, and if you're a conquering king, you ride in and chariots and armies if you're conquering. But if you're a humble king, if you're coming in peace, then you ride in on a donkey. So I want you to see and there's, very, there's a great deal of prophetic significance to what Jesus is saying that applies to your life and my life today. And you're going to hear me say this over and over. But when He comes into our life, He comes in as the Prince of Peace, not the conquering. He's coming back. And He will be the conquering King. But He came as the Prince of Peace. And He entered in declaring peace. And not peace in the natural realm, but peace and restoration between man and God. I come to restore peace between God and His man. And so He rides in on a donkey and the display of palm branches and laying down coats. And every gesture there is the acknowledgement of His stature and His royalty. And the palm branches are actually signs of peace. And to lay your coach down is a sign of submission and surrender to Him as well. Are you with me this morning? And so, He is there declaring His messianic place. So when Jesus came to Jerusalem, He did not fulfill the people's hopes as a conquering deliverer to drive out the Gentiles, but He nonetheless gave all the signs of a royal person making an entrance into the city. And I'm going to touch on this again. When Jesus comes into our life, He's not coming just to fulfill all your hopes. When they came in today, many of them were shouting and they were rejoicing because they thought, this is the day my answer comes. But how many know that His agenda is a little bigger than my answer? 
or my need. And in the process, He's the God who meets and supplies all of our need according to His riches and glory. He's the God who blesses us. There's so many promises. 7,000 promises. Jump in and enjoy yourself. Amen? But in all of that, His agenda is higher than what we want to give Him to do. It's greater. He's just just bigger than that. So think about that. Jesus didn't come to the Jesus did come to the temple, but not as a warning as a warring king on a horse and a chariot, but as a gentle and peaceable king on a donkey, as Zechariah predicted. And Jesus knew that those who would hear him teach at the temple would return to their homes throughout the world and announce the coming Messiah. His entrance meant at night. The same way he went in and out back to Bethany and Bethphage and stayed there during that week. The people coming in, hey, guess who arrived? Guess who came? And out of that, just like I said, people would be inviting people back to hear the Messiah speak. He came in. He's going to be in the temple tomorrow. He's going to be in the temple tomorrow. And they would come. And so this anticipation to come and to hear the Messiah. And then in verse 20, he sends them and listen to this account he says if anyone uh, verse 3 there he says if anyone says to you uh, says anything to you just says this the Lord has need of them when he sent to get the donkey and he will send them immediately so Jesus knew the disciples would be asked why they were taking the colt donkeys and the colts were a very valuable commodity this could be compared to borrowing someone's car so I wasn't just making that up when he said go get me a car amen so Jesus is sensitive being sensitive to this fact told them to explain that the colt would be returned I'm borrowing it but I will bring it back by this time Jesus was extremely well known you think about it this is the place where he had raised Lazarus from the dead and so not everybody you didn't call everybody Lord when you said the Lord has needed them, they knew who they were talking about. Amen? And so the people, especially the people of that region and that area. And so everyone coming to Jerusalem for Passover feast had heard of him. And Jesus had been a frequent visitor there. When it says the Lord has need of them and the colts on it, they said we would gladly let them take the animals. Think about this. The disciples went and found everything just as Jesus said. Those who own the colt may have been spoken to ahead of time. I don't think so. They were expecting this incident. Others suggest that Jesus, who had been a frequent visitor in Bethany, would have been well known enough to be able able to command to commandeer a donkey or a colt for a short time think about that be able to go up and to borrow that i believe this jesus who would ride in jerusalem as a lowly king was at the same time master over all of his circumstances would you agree with that i believe he was a master all of all of his circumstances even these details were under his command and control control think about it he's the one how many remember john 1 in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god and verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us so zechariah when he prophesied this prophecy how many know that was the word of god so jesus is that prophecy in living flesh are you with me this morning so he gave the prophecy and he's the one who's going to fulfill it so he was fully aware that if i go and ask for the this thing is going to come to pass amen the word of the lord is going to come to pass because i'm the lord hallelujah amen think about it i like what g campbell morgan said he said this jesus used these words to indicate his universal authority his chief proprietorship of all things the Lord hath need of them. 
And I just want to encourage you today, if, if you can come to that place, listen, he makes a request, not a demand. He says the Lord needs them, and, and they freely offered him. And when it comes to you and I living that way, does he have that kind of entrance into your life where he can say, hey, I have need of this part of your life. I have need of whether it's your resources, your time, your talent, your service. I have need of them to fulfill my word. Isn't it awesome when we say yes to him on that level? Thank you for that holy hush. Amen. Look at verses 4 and 5. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt and the foal of the donkey. So when Jesus mounted the colt and headed towards the city, the people recognized that he was fulfilling this prophecy. Rejoice, O daughter, greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt and the foal of a donkey so his arrival on a donkey was a sign of peace a, excuse me a, a conquering king would have come on a war horse Jesus was indeed king but not the nationalistic sin he was king but he would bring peace by his own suffering are you listening to me this morning? He came to bring peace by His own suffering. So there's a paradox that comes into entrances like this. Jesus chose a peaceful entrance into Jerusalem. He restrained the crowd's exuberance by His actions. He accepted their joy while recognizing that it was based on false assumptions. Hear me this morning. People had a false... He's the King. He's the Messiah. And in their mind, we're going to throw off the Roman rule. And if He hadn't, if he hadn't entered this way, if He come in any other manner there'd have been a riot right there and the Romans would have come there a war could have broke out right at that moment if he had declared I'm king I'm Messiah I'm setting up the throne of David we're marching into the city we're, we're going to throw out Pilate he's sitting on my throne Herod's going to take a hike are you with me if he had come in to establish that the people were ready to riot but he said, no, I'm not coming in that way. And many times that's that expectation. I believe God. That's the problem I have with a lot of Bible prophecy and doing different things and things get twisted around. The Lord's coming. He's doing this. He's doing that. He's going to do it exactly his way. Amen. And it's going to be right. Could, it say, could you say amen with me this morning? Amen. And so it's so easy for us to ascribe things to him and to think that it's going to be this way instead of just allowing him to have the entrance. Listen, he came with the entrance they needed. Not the one they expected. I need, the, I need His entrance for what I really need in my life. Not for what I expect of Him. But I need the entrance that He brings in my life. That He's ordained for my life. Amen? So they had those faults of some. But He arrived as King, but not the crowd's definition. The pers their perspective was limited to the immediate historical moment. They wanted a political Messiah. Jesus insisted on remaining a timeless Savior. Think about that. If He'd have just come like that, He'd have had an earthly reign, it would have been over. But He says, I'm coming differently. I'm not coming just to begin and end. I'm coming to establish and never end. Are you with me this morning? And so He came as a timeless Savior. Thank God for that. Amen? He, his contemporaries couldn't see beyond the Roman occupation. Jesus saw the needs of the world 
held hostage to sin. Hear it again. God's not willing that any should perish. What length would He have to go to to keep that from happening? It would take Him sending His Son to do exactly what He's doing in order for that to happen. He sees, he, he sees more. Look at They're right there. And this is so many times what happens there. We, we see, we get consumed with our life. And, and how many know our life in the scope of things really doesn't have a very big circumference? The circumference of the tragedies or the moments or the needs or, or, the, or the things of our life are really small in the big picture. But to, it, but, and that's not to trivialize because it's our life. So to us, it's huge. I've been there. I, I have needs. I, I understand. This is big. This is a big thing. To me, it's a big thing. And to them, their, their, their occupation, they're going, this is the big thing. And Jesus said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm God of the world. And you're under occupation, but there are people. How many know right now we can be thinking about the economy of our nation? How many know there are people in, in what's that little island? People went to their bank the other day and everything was frozen. Cyprus, yeah. There was Cyprus, and, 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 and their money's like being taken. It's not like a tax, it's like a taken. <laughs> the locked, it's shut down, okay. You have no money. What? Hello? And so in the picture, so if we get down to my economic thing, that's one thing. But in world economics, how many know there's a bigger picture? And if, 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 if the big picture doesn't get solved, how many know your little problem is going to get a whole lot worse? And so Jesus came, not only did I come to bring an answer for your personal need, but by answering the need of the whole, it will have a dramatic impact for good on your personal life as well. Are you with me this morning? So the same way negative can affect us and, and filter down and trickle down to us, how many know good can affect us and trickle down to us and turn around the small needs of our lives as well? Praise the Lord. So when we reduce God, hear this this morning, when we reduce God, we reduce God when we demand His attention only to our concerns. When I say, God, look at me, take care of me, I, I reduce Him down. True, God encourages us to bring our daily needs to Him in prayer. But God refuses to be a private deity. If you can underline that in your outline there or something, God refuses to be confined down to just be our private deity. Isn't it amazing that, that Peter and them thought that salvation was only for the Jews? And then the Lord goes, hey, I didn't come just to save you. Remember what John said at my baptism? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God refuses to be our private deity, to be our private God. All the way through the Scriptures and all the way through the, the prophecies of the Old Testament, God speaks of the nations coming to Him. But somewhere Israel forgot about that because He became just their God. Amen. When I was at the Western Wall, I went to one of the guys because I was curious about the, the, the Scripture box they have and, and, and why they, they, they wrap the strand. And I asked, I said, hey, are those available? Can you get those? He goes, why do you need our laws? You have your own. Amen. I said, well, I'm, I'm curious. He said, well, go be curious about something else. But, but I mean, he was, he, was, he, was, he was very indignant. He wasn't really being rude, but he said, this is our thing. And so many times we're with that with God. We, we make God too small. And let me say that, that when God becomes our private deity, we actually lose the thought of reaching out to others for him. We, we think He came from... And so one reason we don't care for people that are fallen, people that are down and reaching out, is because we're so concerned at getting God to answer our private need and work on behalf of us that we miss the big picture and, and we get out of that mode. Are you with me this morning? 
So it's so important. Jesus says, hey, I'm not coming to do that. So he refuses to be that private deity. And when we treat him like a house idol or a village god, he graciously fails our expectations. I'm thankful for that. Hear me, if we answer the question, how big is your God, by mere human measures, we will diminish the King of kings and Lord of lords. We can be confident that God can meet our daily needs when we have a clear picture of His greatness. Amen? I love seeing God be big and be Savior of the world and reaching out and embracing the whole world. And then it, it just amazes me that out of a God who is that great, that He knows my name. Amen? And that He cares for me in every need of my life. And I don't have to have a worry or a care. So I don't know about you. I do not want to limit God through my expectations. Amen? I don't want to do that. I don't want to have expectations say, God, let me reduce you down to an expectation that I have of you. That's my question. Have you done that through your expectation? Let today be the day you see Him as more than just one who can meet your needs. And then look at verses 6 and 7. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. The two disciples went to Bethany, found the donkey and the colt just as Jesus directed them. They walked the animals back to Bethphage. A colt never have been ridden, according to Mark, did not have a saddle. So the disciples threw their coats on its back so that Jesus could sit on it. The mother donkey probably was saddled with their coats as well. The Action of placing their colts on the donkey and Jesus riding on them connotates majesty. In our culture, we don't see that. But, but to do that and to show that kind of honor and to set somebody, to take your coat off and to place it there and say, hey, sit here and, and do that. It's such a, it's a, decor, a huge declaration of majesty and honor. In fact, if you read 2 Kings chapter 9 in there, you can find where Jehu the king, where they spread their cloaks out him. And then in verse 8 it says a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others caught palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Crowds of people had already gathered on this stretch of the road a mile outside of Jerusalem going to the city for the feast of unleavened bread. And, and there actually is a road when you come over the Mount of Olives from Bethany there, there's a road that comes down it wanders all the way down, it goes through the Garden of Gethsemane, ends up down in, in, in the Kidron Valley and then it goes up and, and, and right across from Gethsemane there's a wall that goes up into the western gate there which is where the temple is facing there and, and that and, and, and on that side where the dome of the rock just to the side of it here and where the temple would have been there's a western gate that goes up here and, and it's just an amazing amazing sight because you come down you see that so Jesus is coming down that whole area is lined with pilgrims and people who are coming in there to enter the city amen it's an amazing amazing sight praise the Lord and so this crowd is there. And so they're gathered along that stretch of the road. The crowd's spontaneous celebration honored Jesus. It was a demonstration when they spread their cloaks on the road for Him to ride over. In addition, others cut branches from trees. And these branches were used as part of the pilgrimage into Jerusalem. Some of them used them as shade. There were decorations. It was all symbolic to their history and their culture and their faith. Amen. The branches were probably from olive trees and fig trees. They were used to welcome a national liberator and symbolize victory. I always think about it. Not everybody carried a branch from home. So if you liked to own the trees where all the people were. Dude, I forgot my branch. There's a tree. 
Hey, that's my tree. Amen. So, side thought. Maybe you guys never go there. My brain goes out like that all the time. Amen. So anyway, here's this multitude and they're getting branches from other people's trees and waving them and honoring the Lord with them. But they were used to welcome Nash, a national liberator, and symbolize victory. Think about that. And, and, and when the leaders see that, wait a minute, this guy is being welcomed as a liberator and someone who has brought victory. Who is this man? Is what they're going to ask. John recorded that they used palm branches in John 12. Even though that verse is only one of the few places where the gospel record that Jesus' glory was, glory was recognized on earth. Think about it. Jesus' glory out of all the other things. And, and, and I'm going back and I'm reading. If you read back a few passages as you go through this, even in Matthew 20, you find out before they make their entrance, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be delivered to the chief priest and his guards. I'm going to be scourged, beaten, and crucified and I'm going to die so he says what's really going to happen he says you're going to see this great but don't miss the point when we get to Jerusalem before this is over I'm going to be handed over I'm going to be arrested I'm going to be scourged beaten and crucified and I will die amen so here, think about this. Here he's coming in and think about it. And many times this is what happened. The very crowd that thought he was coming to answer their needs is the very crowd that cried crucify him. Because many times, and let me just help you here. If you have expectations on God and he comes up short, you'll get discouraged. And you won't shout crucify. But you know, over the years, when, when we first started teaching more on having faith in God and believing God and the promises of God and understand everything the cross has for us, I've had people who told me, I tried that faith stuff, it didn't work. And what they're saying is, is I went to God with faith to have my, Him meet my expectations. He did not meet my expectations according to my faith the way I thought He should. And so now I'm crying, be away with Him. Are you with me? And so it's so important that we release that and let God be God. Amen? Pastor Sue was witness to one of our, to, to the guy up at the, at the ski resort and talking to him and he just being all kinds of different things. And so she took her watch and go, you know, if I dismantled my watch and I put it out here and all the pieces that were on here. And he said he's kind of into science and everything else and didn't know. But he said, how many know? She, she goes, wouldn't it seem kind of weird just to believe that all those people pieces by some kind of miraculous chain of events would come together and make that and then it would work and it would be accurate and keep time isn't that amazing amen but see so if God's big enough hear me guys if God's big enough to create the universe and, and now they're even finding that DNA the more scientists I read an article that DNA is proving creation Amen. It's, it's amazing. The smarter science gets, the more spiritual they are. It's awesome. The more they prove the Word of God and they prove creation. It's amazing. And that. But listen, if He's big enough and able to do that, to get you here, and you and I are more fearfully and wonderfully made than a watch, then how many know He can handle every need of our life? And how many know if He knew we were coming, He already knows what we're facing? I'm, I'm always aware of this. No matter where I am, God knows I'm here. 
and he knows what's happening around me. And if he knows I'm here and he knows what's happening, then he must have provision for the need that I am in. Instead of looking for the need, why not just believe that the need is there? And that's why Paul said, I've learned to be content in him. And if we ever get that, it's not a matter of of, of being humble and trying to be a base and making yourself out. No, no, no. No matter what's going on, God is with me. He made me. I'm in an ordained time for my life. I'm not a mistake. No matter how your entrance came about into this world, you are not a mistake. God knew you were coming. So if he knows you're here, he knows every circumstance. He created the universe. Next time you wonder how he's going to make it happen. Go outside, look up at the stars, look at the sky, look at nature, look at the beauty, look at the sun staying where the, how somehow everything is not colliding into everything. If he can handle that, you're covered. So just giving an entrance of praise and God come in and be who you're supposed to be, and I take all my prerequisites off of it. Amen? Hallelujah. So think about it. Think about it. Today, we celebrate this event on Palm Sunday. Amen. The triumphal entry, worship in action. The triumphant entry included a number of acts of respect. People shouted blessing. In Old Testament phrases of praise, someone waved palm branches and placed them on the road. Men removed their coats and spread them under the coats' hoods. People rolled out the red carpet for Jesus. Their spontaneous worship put much of our worship to shame. I want you to think about this. Maybe they were misguided in their expectation, but their worship was unbridled. Their expression was unbridled. Today, we are dignified. Everybody should have a paisley hanky. Our palm branch would look like this. Hallelujah. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. We've gotten too refined. Sometime, I remember David said, David realized, David went and got the ark. He said, hey guys, where's God? Uh, We left him out at Obed-Edom's house. He's in the barn at Obed's house. He's in the barn. Obed said, whatever you do, never take God out of my barn. I am blessed with God in the barn. Store him here as long as you want. David. No, no, we need God back in His house. Can I just submit to you today, we need God back in His house? And can I tell you that, that it's important that we again as a church learn how to bring God back into His house? We've tried to make all these kind of carts to usher in God's presence. And what happened it is, and I'm, I'm way off topic right here, but what happened is David said, hey, go get God without finding out how to get God or about finding out how to enter His presence. So out of their natural mind, out of their natural thinking, this is the way we'll do it. We'll build a cart and we'll honor God by putting on a cart and, and, and we'll design how to bring God into our presence. And so they do that. And here's poor Uzzah. Uzzah's just the guy he just works at the church you know he's just hanging out and they say hey Uzzah drive the cart and Uzzah wants to protect God so they're driving God in the cart and they hit the bump and the ark rocks and Uzzah reaches out and touches God and he dies and they go what did he have sin in his life no you just don't touch God 
And even as the priest or the guy working, he should have known, wait a minute, I read the book and you guys are getting it all wrong because you don't drive God and you don't drag God and God doesn't ride in car. God and the ark represent the anointing of God and God belongs on the shoulder of his priest. And so this is what happened. So David was upset. So he goes and he reads and he said, man, we did it wrong. The way you bring God into his house is that you carry his presence with you and you come before him in singing and rejoicing. And if you're a king, you strip yourself of your dignity and you don't hold on to your title, but you get down and you put the robes on of a priest and you get down where you are a worshiper of God. And so as you're bringing in His presence, then you rejoice in His presence and you magnify the Lord. Hallelujah. And so when David's wife comes, said, what are you doing? He says, woman... I will even get more vile. Or else I will, in the presence of God, I will abase myself to exalt Him. And we forget that when we allow God to have an entrance into our lives, something dramatic can happen. Let me ask you this. How often in our church does the presence of Jesus cause a genuine stir? God. Think about that. I I still believe this with all my heart. It might make you uncomfortable. and, 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 And not every word might be an exact word. But it's coming from people who have genuine heart. And who are sinking God. But more than not, the word of the Lord that comes forth in our services and in our worship. Is usually right in line with what God's doing that service. And I still believe that that is God's voice in His church. And we go, well, I don't think that ought to be there. Bless God, I ain't going to take that out. Hallelujah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If we put God in a cart, and we bring Him as we want, then maybe we're touching Him, and maybe people are dying prematurely. Maybe death is connected to worship when it should never be. Ooh, that's a word. Anyway. <laughs> Think about it. Jesus should cause a gem. Wait a minute. We had today, the word of the Lord came in our church. God spoke to us, encouraged us, brought exhortation into our lives. Every one of them, the essence was, I'm with you and I'm for you. Keep going. Don't get distracted. Don't get pulled away. You know, it's, to, to me, the word Lord always comes. It's just as we cheese, but God's going, hey, focus eyes on me. Amen. Not on the world. Don't be pulled. Just keep eyes on me. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm leading you. It doesn't matter hardship, trial. It doesn't matter if you're growing. Keep going. Amen. Think about this. Have our rules for worship been defined so narrowly that spontaneous expressions of praise for Christ are frowned upon? Amen. How often does our experience with Christ cause you, does your experience cause you to want to praise? We can't blame the lack of praise for God on a lack of opportunity. Certainly there are opportun- appropriate times for formal worship. That's true. There's appropriate time. But a genuine relationship with God ought to find expression beyond official structure. How many would agree? Somewhere. Amen. Somewhere. I asked, the, I was working this last week and I was playing Jeremy Camp CD in here and just singing along with him and worshiping. And I asked the church to learn that song, I Surrender, that they sang at the end today. I found myself stopping working 
and just stand and just say, God, I surrender. I surrender to you. In your day, let God interrupt your life. Find a place where His presence and your experience with Him causes you to say to Him, God, I surrender my life to you. Amen? Hallelujah. Think about it. We don't sing hymns and choruses in our private time with God. Well, okay. <laughs> but you don't pull out the hymnal and look at it. Okay, we're going to sing verse 1 and 3, and then we're going to go to the chorus. Okay, two times two. Hallelujah. I do too. I, you understand what I mean by that. We don't have that regulated structure in our private time with God. We may sing songs that we love and are familiar, but not that regulated structure. Do you look for opportunities to give thanks to God? Let me ask you this. What does Hosanna mean to you? Do you know what Hosanna... Hosanna means, if you look it up, it means save now. Save now. Or a little freer just means save us. When Jesus is entering, they're saying, Hosanna. And, 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 and be, because it's become traditional, and because it's become an act of their worship, and it's something they do in celebrations, and they say it, and they're quoting Psalms 118 and sections there of David. And so we, we just, so many times we say words. It's like, in, okay, amen, it's a natural response that we do this, or glory to God, or whatever. But Hosanna means save now. Save now. Now. So they're waving their branches. Saying, save now. Save us. Save now. He says, I will. I am. I will. And that's what they think it and they don't miss it. And sometimes we miss it. But Jesus is actually going to do what they're worshiping him to do. Amen? So think about that. Save us and save us now. What in your experience would be similar to spreading your coat for Jesus to walk on? In your life, personally, you, nobody else, not your husband, not your wife, not anybody, you, my friend, just you as an individual. What in your experience says, God, I give my life. Lord, I give you, I acknowledge you in my life. I declare your majesty and your royalty, my submission to you. I declare. There's something in us that that becomes amazing when it takes place. When we make sure, we must make sure our worship includes action and tangible expressions of praise and adoration that are worthy of the entrance of our King in our lives. Amen? So worship team comes back. Verse 9 says, In the multitudes who went before those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the Son of the Highest. Blessed be He who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, I want you to hear this. This isn't just a small little group of people along the wayside. This group is characterized as a multitude in your Bible. Not just a little group. Although the word Hosanna technically means saved now, the people were probably not asking God to do so. They were using phrases like praise the Lord or hallelujah, not really thinking about the meaning. The expression, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, may have been recited as part of the Passover tradition as, being, as a blessing being given by the people in Jerusalem to the visiting pilgrims. Thus, not all the people saying this would have realized its messianic significance. Of course, others did. They spoke of Jesus as the son of David because of God's word to David in 2 Samuel 
7. The people lined the road, praising God, waving branches and throwing their cloaks in front of the colt as it passed by them, shouting, Long live the king, was the meaning behind their joyful shouts because they knew that Jesus was intentionally fulfilling prophecy. So out of that group, some of them knew, others were just doing their ritualistic, traditional thing, but others really had caught it. This crowd's acclamation that he was indeed the long-awaited Messiah was there. He chose a time when all of Israel would be gathered at Jerusalem, a place where huge crowds could see him, and a way of proclaiming his mission that was unmistakable. The people were sure their liberation of Rome was at hand. While the crowd correctly saw Jesus as the fulfillment of these prophecies, they did not understand where Jesus' kingship would lead him. The people who were praising God for giving them a king had the wrong idea about Jesus. And if I could get that across to us today as we remember Passover and Easter coming, I don't want to have the wrong idea about Him. I want the right idea of who He is and why He came. First and foremost, He came to make us whole. That, that we, Paul wrote and said that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And Leonard Ravenhill said a quote from a preacher that he heard from England. And he said that this time, what I'm doing right now, technically what I'm doing right now, this is a few moments giving to raising the dead. Because you and I, without Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. And so God raises us out of the death of our sin and invites us into life. And that's what He comes to do to give us new life on the inside. Amen? Praise the Lord. And so the people, they expected Him to be a national leader who would restore their nation to its former glory. Thus they were deaf to the words of their prophet and blind to Jesus' real mission. When it became apparent that Jesus was not going to fulfill their hopes, many of them would turn against Him. And a similar would cr crowd would cry out, crucify him. So one brief moment as I close this morning. For one brief moment in time. Think about this. I think about it all the time. Jesus would go and he'd heal and they'd run him out of church. He'd go and read scripture and they'd try to throw him off a cliff. He'd do this and he'd, he'd get a demonic healed and delivered. And over a few pounds of bacon, they would chase him out of town. Amen. And yet, and he knows what's coming. And I think maybe you think, how does he endure? How does he make it through the cross? How did he get that? How did he do that? I think that maybe at this entrance, that God set this up as much for him as for us. That Jesus is hearing and he's thinking as he's writing in, I know they don't get it, but they will. And there will be a day when there will be those who really know who I am. When they say, Hosanna, they'll mean it. When they worship me, They'll mean it because they will have received me as who, not for what they need me to be, what they want me to be, but for who I am. They will have accepted me as their Savior. And for you and I, when we worship God, I think we have the opportunity to give Him what they missed. To give Him that adoration, that praise, and we say, Hosanna, save us, and you have saved us. May God have your entrance into my life. Would you stand with me this morning?
people in Jerusalem were very interested. They came and they said, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. And they were interested. When Jesus was born, he created his birth, created another steward. The wise men came and stirred up the whole city with that same question. Who is it? Who's been born? And they say, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. That description can seem almost anticlimactic. All this fuss over just a prophet? No, this is the Savior of the world. Moses prophesied in Deuteronomy, said this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Like me from among your own brothers, you must listen to him. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command them. Stephen used that. Who is? Who was this prophet when he defended himself before he was stoned? The coming of Jesus to earth was not an afterthought, but part of God's original plan. Jesus was the man for whom they had been waiting. No wonder the city was in a uproar. He comes the same way to our lives in peace for peace. Hear me today. Jesus will never, my friend, no matter where you are, what your relationship is, Jesus did not come to conquer your heart. He came to make a peaceful entrance into your life. He's not going to attack you in armor and conquer you. He comes like this lowly and humbly to your life. And He asks you to do this one thing, to surrender to His entrance and allow Him in. Say, Lord, come into my life. He will never take the throne of your heart by force. You have to be willing to surrender it to Him. When we do, His entrance into our lives is so glorious that it outshadows that day at Jerusalem. One life change, One heart that receives Him. I remember what Jesus said of John the Baptist. He says, Of those born among women, there is none greater than John the Baptist, except for he that is least in the kingdom of God. Your heart open to Him, giving Him entrance, is the greatest joy that He knows. So the only way He enters is when we surrender our reign to His rule. Maybe you're here today and something's held you back from giving Him that entrance. He's come to you today. He is your King. He's come humbly before you. And all He does is where you are right now, you feel His pull on your heart. And that pull is just His invitation for you to open that door. He said, well, come into my life. I'll open the gates of my city up to you. Come in, have your way, have your entrance into my life. And he comes in. And when you do it without any reservation, maybe you're here today and you're frustrated. I asked God and my life hasn't changed. He hasn't done. I've been praying. I've been teaching. And you've reduced him down. But just saying, God, enter as who you are. I take every restraint, every expectation of. 
I'm going to ask him to sing this song one more time. I surrender. And maybe God's pulling on your heart today. And maybe as they sing that you feel the Holy Spirit inviting you. Jesus said nobody comes unto the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And you sense him drawing and inviting you to give him entrance into your life. Maybe there's something you've kept closed off. Maybe you've never given him entrance. I'm going to open this altar. Teresa came to me and said there's somebody here today and you have pancreas trouble. God wants to touch your body. Somebody else has a back problem. God wants to touch you in that area. Somebody else, you have a legal decision that you're facing and you need wisdom and direction in that area. I'm going to ask our leaders to come and stand. If you need prayer in any area, we're here as they sing this. I'm just going to ask you, if you feel the Holy Spirit moving on your heart, just to move to this altar and find a place of prayer. If you need someone to agree with you in one of these areas, we're here to do that. Sometimes that's surrender. Say, God, when was the last time my Hosanna was really a declaration of who you are? When was the last time my worship represented laying my coat before you? Hallelujah. Go ahead, God. You come as God pulls on your heart. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. I'm tired of living like a fool. Yes, God, tired. Soften up this heart and please. Yes, God, soften my heart. To be a servant, this I pray. Yes, Lord. Yes. A reflection of you along to Oh, God, be. let us reflect who you are. Surrender to your throne. Yes, God, I surrender. Oh, 